0: All right, good morning. How is everybody? All right, so this morning this morning we're going to look at church discipline. But more exactly, we're going to look at gospel-centered church discipline. Now, I'm going to explain what this means. However, before I do, I'm going to read the text. I'm going to read the um, portion of Scripture that I've chosen. Here we go. It's found in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Let's just have a quick prayer before we continue. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, we ask that you um, You allow your word to stir us up. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate the word to us, um, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive it, and uh, may we apply it in all of life. And may we uh, seek your glory in everything, uh, may we uh, see that uh, you are a holy God. May we um, maybe be truly edified by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Now I understand that there may be some here that might find um, church discipline a little troubling. Okay, You may have had um, an experience in the past or maybe you've witnessed another person's experience and that's had and had a negative impact on you. Okay? I can't really change that for you, but what I can do is help you process. Okay? I can help you process your experience through the lens of Scripture. That's what I can help you. And that's what I aim to do this morning. And what we really need to do is look at the heart of the issue first. Okay. The heart of the issue, and that is this. That there are two sides of the same coin, and these two sides of the same coin is not the gospel. Okay, So you think of a coin, and there's two sides, and what I'm going to discuss with you is not the gospel. And what we really need to get to is the heart of the gospel when it comes to church discipline, because that kind of frames the reason why we do it. Okay? So what do I mean by this? I mean moralism and relativism. Now, they're big words, I understand, but I'll explain them. And I'll explain them in the context of church discipline. What we've seen in the past, what we see today. Okay? So moralism is um, something we've seen in the past. Sometimes we see it today, but more from this from this congregation, we understand it. This is what we've seen in the past. Okay? Um, we've seen members and leaders in the church abuse their authority and use church discipline as a means for power and control. That's what we've seen in the past. Okay, And this is more of a pursuit towards moralism or legalism. Okay? <clears throat> It tends to be punitive. It's more about punishing. And what this really does demonstrate is that there is a greater love for personal performance over Christ's performance on the cross. Okay, that personal performance matters more than Christ. And this is not the gospel, this is not gospel centered church discipline. On the other hand, relativism. And this is what we see a lot in evangelical churches today. That there is a lack of church discipline or no such church discipline at all. Okay, It's all about being inclusive. That everyone has their own personal knowledge their own personal truth, their own personal morality. That there are no absolutes except this, that we are inclusive and tolerant. It's the only absolute. We see this a lot in evangelical churches today. Now this is relativism, and what it tends to be is non-punitive because discipline is divisive and we don't want to divide and the trouble with this view is that it demonstrates that we know how to love better than God does what I mean by that is we take ownership of love and we're saying that we can love better than God does we know how to do it a better way a right way. And this is not the gospel either. Neither moralism or relativism is not the gospel. The gospel is something that's different. It's different. It rises above. So these are moralism and relativism are two different sides of the same coin. Okay? And the coin is a coin that says, love gone wrong. It's love gone wrong. And it doesn't truthfully, truthfully present the gospel. It robs God of demonstrating his love for us by either loving our performance over his or loving better than he can. And gospel practice is uniquely different to this. God's love is so great that he sent his son to die in our place. We read this in John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Christ's love is the greatest and rises above. So I'm going to put a line there. Because what's happened is, when it comes to church discipline, we either take God's love distort it, make it our own and say, we need to control people, so we're going to punish them. Or we need to be inclusive and we're just going to include everybody. Either way, it's love gone wrong. And we need to progress towards the one true love. The God of love. And the gospel. Christ laid down his life because he wanted to demonstrate his love for us to restore us to a right relationship with God and forgive our sins. And we need to understand that moralistic church discipline or relativistic approach separates us from the gospel. And we need to get back to the heart of church discipline. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that is the heart of the issue. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the good news all about restoration it's all about forgiveness so now let's get to the next point and i've made um three points three points um please take note they're all framed around three f words okay yes each word starts with the letter f i wonder if you can pick it out church discipline is not scary it happens all the time in a fluid and informal way it's not scary. It happens all the time. You probably don't realise it, but it happens. And the first F word is that it's fluid. Okay, It's informal. Let's have a look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now what this verse tells us is that there is a link between discipline and discipleship discipline and discipleship and discipleship happens all the time amongst believers because we are all commissioned to make disciples it's what we do it's fluid it's informal it's between family members it's between friends it happens every day any time it can happen a youth group it can happen at church camp It can happen anywhere, really. It's what we do. We correct in love. And it's part of discipleship. You see, Christ first loved us and it's His love that compels us to love one another. It compels us to this task. We direct each other toward Christ. We direct each other towards his life, his death, and his resurrection. We lean on his ultimate sacrifice and his Father's grace for forgiveness. And we seek to restore and gain the brother, to gain the sister. We seek to restore and gain can happen anytime, perhaps after a footy game, on a Saturday night, for example, maybe in the family home, maybe in a cafe. It's fluid, and it's part of discipleship. If we see behaviour that is contrary to Christ's teachings, we correct that behaviour because Christ suffered so much to forgive that behaviour. We have to understand that Christ suffered so much to forgive that behaviour, and that's what compels us to go and correct one another. We do it. It is sin that separates us from God and one another, and it's the Christ that brings us back together. And he made us, his ambassadors, to share this good news, the good news of reconciliation, of restoration. Just like the writer of Hebrews says in um, chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that is our primary focus, to stir up one another. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is an important verse. It's just anyone who is spiritual can go and restore someone. Okay, And it's to be done in a spirit of gentleness. So, best to go out and ask questions first. Okay? To be gentle. Best to give people the benefit of a doubt when this is done. And best to watch out, not to be tempted yourself. So, Church discipline is not scary. It happens all the time in a fluid and informal way because it's a part of discipleship. Let's get to the next point. Rarely, this is a whole church approach and is temporarily fixed, and very rarely permanent. Now, let's read the next two verses. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what happens if the sinning member refuses to repent? This is what happens. Verse 16 tells us to take one or two others. And what that means is so that it does not remain one person's word against another. So we're progressing from being fluid to being something that's fixed. Okay, We bring witness or witnesses. The gospel is still at the centre and restoration is still the focus. That's where our heart is. The heart is in the gospel and we want everyone to have that right relationship. The other thing we do is we start to begin, we begin to identify the difference between sin and sin patterns. We start to see that distinction. We're all sinners. We all sin. And that's different if it happens a little once here and we repent from it, or another time there and we repent from it. But if we start to see a pattern of the same thing happening over and over again. Then we start to ask the question what is going on We begin to def- identify the difference between sin and sin patterns and we start to understand we start to see that the sin pattern is um, outward okay it's manifesting outwardly not inwardly. So it's not like um, we don't know the secret thoughts of a person. We don't know what's on their heart, only God does. So we don't look at that, we look at the outward manifestation of it. We see that it is serious, and we see that it is unrepentant. That's really, really important. Okay, Because it says, but if he does not listen, if he refuses to listen, if he refuses to listen three times in those two verses that's what we're looking out for. We're looking to see the sin patterns. We're looking to see that the sin pattern is outward, serious and unrepentant. And this is where sin presents itself to be more important to that member than Christ. And that's the distinction. That's the line. That sin is what the member desires more than they desire Christ. Christ. And that's where we draw the line. The line is not drawn between, not just drawn between moralism, relativism, and the gospel, but we also draw a line between um, the point where sin presents itself to be more important to that member than than Christ is to that member. We're not aiming to be moralistic with um, uh, with the uh, with the um, We're not aiming to be moralistic. We're not aiming to just primarily seek out excommunication. That'll be moralistic. We're not aiming to be relativistic and uh, seek out to be just inclusive and try to um, help them that way. Our aim is that Christ be glorified in the life of every member and that his holiness be displayed in the life of all believers. That's what our aim is. And we understand that people need restoration for that. The aim to bring people back to the gospel. And now on rare occasions, rare occasions, this happens rarely, this is a whole church approach. The whole church agrees to work on restoring a sinning member. Okay? So it's not just between one person, it's not just between two or three. It's the whole church gets on board and seeks out Restoration. So why excommunicate, you may ask? Christ said, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Why do that? Well, in Galatians 5, 9, we learn that, and this is not the only place where we learn this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So leaven is just um, a mixture of, If you were to ever make bread yourself using leaven, uh, you make yourself like a sourdough starter where you leave um, flour and water out to sit for a week and it takes in the bacteria and yeast from the air and it becomes uh, funky smelling. And so the bacteria makes it sour while the yeast grows inside too. um, And it's used as a rising agent. So you take a little bit of that and you stir it in some water and that becomes your leaven that you add to the bread. And a little bit, and it takes a little bit to make the bread rise. So what, what we're saying here is that a little sin in the church would have great influence. It has great influence. Just a little bit. It doesn't need to, need to be a lot, just a little. It does not mean that we excommunicated individual cannot attend the church, and it does not mean that we socially exclude the individual. It's not what we're after. It means that the whole church works together to share the good news about salvation and the purpose of bringing repentance, forgiveness and restoration. It's the whole church approach towards the gospel of restoration. And keep in mind, um, it's also done this way to protect us from temptation. Like we read in um, Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught into transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. Okay? Because a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. A little sin in the church can influence a lot, and it can influence across generations, across decades. It can linger on. And we hope that, um, with a whole church approach, we hope that repentance, forgiveness, and restoration comes quickly. Because we don't want it to last long. We want it to come quickly. We want it to be temporary. And sadly, on very rare occasions, the excommunicated individual wholeheartedly embraces their sin with a hardened heart and never repents. And it's not the church to blame because the church did not willfully choose this sin out for the individual, but the individual did. So rarely it's... This is a whole church approach and temporarily fixed. Okay, so fixed is the next word. And very rarely it's permanent. Now we come to the third point. The purpose of church discipline is to centre on the gospel of restoration and forgiveness. And we read from verses 18 to 20. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So these three verses don't explicitly mention about forgiveness. So how do we know that these verses talk about forgiveness? It's how Peter responds. So in the following verse, this is what Peter asks. Peter asks Christ this question. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So what that tells us is that tells us that Peter understood that Christ is talking about forgiveness. He's talking about restoration. If you think about this passage in 18, chapter 18, from verse 15 to 20, and we look just before it, Christ shares a parable of the lost sheep. Okay? And the purpose of this is that the shepherd leaves the 99 to go out and restore that lost sheep back to the fold, back to the flock. It's about restoration. And soon after, Christ shares a parable about forgiveness. And in the middle is the, a process that we see, church discipline. It's about gospel, it's about restoration. It's about forgiveness, and that's what we're seeking out here. And Peter understood this. And what we need to do, uh, in order to understand this, we need to understand um, what it means to be bound or loosed. What this passage means. So Christ shared about the lost sheep. He shared about um, parable on forgiveness, and. Um, Peter understood what was meant by the uh, what is loose and what is bound or what is uh, loosed or bound um, because this was not the first occasion that Christ spoke about this. So if we go back in um, Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, we hear Christ say this to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this is what Jesus said to Peter, and again, he says it to the disciples in 18, so it's not just limited to one person, it's limited to more than one. And what Christ is doing here is he's passing on his authority to the disciples so that they can make decisions in line with the decisions made in heaven. And it's it's very limited, the authority is very limited, because um, Christ is the ultimate judge. So the church has been given authority to make a judgment call. And it's necessary that the church does make a judgment call. And I'll explain a little bit more about what this judgment call is. The judgment call is on whether a person is repentant or unrepentant. How do we know? The church can never make a judgment call on whether a person is forgiven or unforgiven. That's what God does. And if you, if you consider the parable afterwards, um, it was expected that forgiveness happened after repentance. We just need to decide on whether the individual is repentant or not. And what this passage says, it says that an unrepented person is bound to their sin. It's obvious. They're bound to the sin. And the church is saying that what heaven says about this person, and that's that connection, that they are bound to the sin. A repentant person, on the other hand, is loosed from their sin, and the church is saying what heaven says about this person—that they are loosed from their sin. That's the connection. A rep- repentant person is forgiven; is a forgiven person, not by our doing, not by the church's doing, but by Christ's doing, because it all comes back to the gospel—the gospel of restoration. And the church's responsibility is just to make the judgment call. Is this person really making the changes in life? Is this person, can they be truly restored back to the fellowship? And what happens when we, when we uh, see someone restored back back to the church, back to the fellowship? We throw a party because we're so happy. Someone is like the like the parable of the lost sheep that, that was Jesus explained just just before um, this passage from fifteen to verses fifteen to twenty. Imagine a shepherd. A lot of the times in these small towns, the shepherd would be uh, a younger boy hired for the purpose of taking care of every family's sheep so there's great responsibility you might have one one small family that has one sheep another family that has five sheep and all the families come together bring the sheep together and hire a shepherd to take care of it but what if one of them's lost it's a great responsibility That one sheep could mean so much to that one family who only has one sheep. So the shepherd goes, leaves the 99, and seeks out that sheep, seeks to restore it. And what do they do when they restore it? They're happy. They throw a party. Because it's important. And we do the same. Whether it's in a fluid engagement, whether we're just just, you know, after a footy match and you realise that your, your friend's behaviour wasn't all that in line with, with Christ's teaching and you just ask questions, what they thought about how that happened during the game and why they behaved that way and ask them if it's in line with Christ's teaching and if they admit and they say, yes, you know what, I was a bit wrong, I, should, I'll, I won't do that next time. Celebrate! Because it's a Gospel at work. It's good news. And whether it's done between two or three, or whether it's done as a whole church approach, celebrate. So, in conclusion, to summarise, we need to understand that there are two sides of the same coin that is not the gospel we can't use church discipline as a way of power and control we can't be moralistic we can't have a lack of lack of it or, or none of it to be inclusive that's relativistic each one is love gone wrong and we need to move beyond that we need to move towards that gospel the gospel of Christ that great love. We need to understand that church discipline is not scary, it happens all the time. It's fluid and informal. Okay? It happens all the time in all settings. And rarely this is a whole church approach. Okay, and it's temporarily fixed. And very rarely it's permanent. And it's very sad if it ever does become permanent. Very, very sad. And the purpose of church discipline is to centre on the gospel of restoration and forgiveness. So most of the time it's fluid. And very rarely it's fixed. And we're always seeking out restoration and forgiveness. Let us finish here with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, we love Your Word, we love uh, all that You teach us, and we love Your gospel and Your good news that You have for us, and we love it that um, that You loved us first, and it's that Your love that compels us to live holy lives, to live to Your glory. <coughs> And we thank you so much for the cross. Give us a heart that desires restoration. Give us a heart that desires reconciliation. Not just for the unbelievers, but for those who are unrepentant in their sin those believers who are unrepentant in this sin. And help us help us so that we are not proud in the process, that we do not lean on our own efforts to love, but that we lean on the good news, your gospel, the gospel of love. Help us to live by it every day, Help us to build one another up and to stir us, each and every one of us, to good works. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.